You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Deadair Nipe here with, always, Typical Idea. On today's show, we're going to be doing the musical horror slasher, 2014's Stage Fright. Is it really 2014? Yeah. Wow. I know, right? Yeah, I thought it was older than that. This is yeah. white hot off the presses. Well, you wouldn't have known it. Uh, no, no. It has an aesthetic that comes from a lack of money. Yeah. That makes seem, things seem a little older than they are. But it's a Canadian production. That's cool. That's totally cool. The uh, theater portions in this were filmed in my hometown, North Bay, Ontario, at the Capitol Center. I think it might even have a different name by now, but I always knew it as the Capitol Center. And I spent a little bit of time there because I'm not a huge fan of stage productions in that I don't attend them regularly, but I don't unlike them. <laughs> don't unlike them. So this takes place in your ancestral burial grounds. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where I'm assuming you're just going to go to die one day? I don't know. <laughs> no. I, I'm going to try my hardest to not die there. I'm going to try my hardest to die absolutely anywhere else. Because it is like a huge magnet, those little small towns, and it does mm-hmm. draw people back. It's hard to escape. But... Other portions were filmed in like Huntsville, Muskoka, somewhere in there. So, because it's a lot of like on a campground, which is great setting for a horror, right? Yeah, we've done a couple that take place on campgrounds. And of course, there's very famous slasher films that take place on campgrounds. And as I think we've said before, it's a pretty inexpensive location to do. I mean, you just find a camp and then you're done. You just. Yeah, no, really. Just lights and camera. Do it. Yeah. Um, Though, I guess if they did spend money anywhere, it was on the smart things, you know, um, good behind the scenes technicians. Yeah. Great lighting. Good sound. Great sound. Excellent sound. Which is what you need in a musical. Yeah. I think most of everyone is probably actra because uh, most the actors are very good. And the singing, there's even the ones that quote unquote can't sing, can sing. You yeah. Know what I mean? So yeah. Well, it's got uh, Ali McDonald in it uh, from Ottawa, so it's another Canadian connection. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, from uh, she was on Last House. Is she know. really from Ottawa though? Yeah, I liked I liked that uh, that film. Um, I went to the premiere of that actually, and I yeah. do like her. She's got a, a she's a great actress. Yeah. Yeah, she's got a great face. She has a great voice. If that's one hundred percent her voice, which I'm sure it is, mm. she has a really, really nice voice. Yeah, convincing. And yeah, she's from Ottawa, so there you go. Cool. Okay. Something else. Then um, Meatloaf is in this guy like that. Meatloaf a day. I didn't know his last name was a day, and it, I could see why. You need a Meatloaf a day to really get that sort of might behind your voice. <laughs> he doesn't sing the way that you would want Meatloaf to sing in this, though. I he's not singing hot patootie. No, he's not singing hot patootie for you. He's not. I figured you would enjoy this, though. I do. I do enjoy this. I think you picked this because, dear listeners, I have a terrible secret to confess. I love musicals a lot. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> like a lot. I'm a big theater nerd. I'm super unapologetic about it. When it combines with horror, I like it all that much more. 
So obviously we talked in the last episode about how much I loved the Rocky Horror Picture Show and love it to death to this day. Another great one, Repo the Genetic Opera, which if you guys are interested in the history of spiderpictures.net, my first official written review on the website was for that movie. Mm-hmm. So there you go, another little thing like that. This movie, well, it certainly exists within the camp of a musical horror. Doesn't quite make it to the caliber I feel of the the two la- the, the aforementioned films, but it's not because no one's trying. And actually, I submit it's better production than both of those previous oh, movies. Uh, Repo, maybe. That's that's a tough call right there. Yeah, but... The I costuming mean, in Repo is amazing. That, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'll dial it back a little bit and but say... But as far as, like, yeah, lighting, sound, and just... And editing and stuff like that, it looks yeah. really good. But I think what this movie really lacks is a lot of memorable songs. It's true. None of them are very catchy except the... I guess what would be the second song, uh, but when they arrive at camp. Even I know some of the words to that, and I don't remember things like that. We'll go to the basic plot of this film. We're treated to the haunting of the opera. It is obviously a play on the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, Minnie Driver is the lead in this. She has a a musical number. She's the star of the, the story, and she's got two kids brother and a sister twins twinsies i love twins in horror and it's always really good well their their manager or her manager is also her boyfriend or the producer he's the producer yeah he's the producer and it seems to some whatever extent her manager and he's played by meatloaf that's meatloaf he's got a, he's right front and center and it's funny when we were watching the movie and i found out that meatloaf was in this i just assumed because I guess I haven't really seen Meatloaf front and center in a lot of movies. Well, maybe since Fight Club. Yeah. I guess. I just kind of assumed that it was going to be like a bit part. I was like, oh, he's probably going to just kind of show up and it'll be the novelty of the fact that it's Meatloaf. Like, oh, look, it's Meatloaf. It's like in Tenacious D when Meatloaf is Jack Black's dad. Yeah. And he's like, going to be their vocal instructor or something. Yeah, yeah, something scene. like that. Yeah. Just kind of come in and do like his... I was going to... Like, belt out, like, a vibrating meatloaf thing, and then I realized I can't sing, so I'm not going to. <laughs> All of a sudden, Minnie Driver's character is brutally killed, and interesting that she was specifically stabbed in the throat. Yeah, I liked it. It's a, kind of a unique place. Usually, women are supposed to be stabbed in the tits. We all know this. Yeah. That's where you stab. It's, or the heart. Sorry, I meant the heart. Or the, the heart, chest, not the, the tits. The chest, something. Yeah. Um, their heaving bosom. But it was really like the her throat was her, you know, a center of being. Yes. So, yeah, it was a really brutal throat stab. And then stabbed her in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow. Yeah. And right then and there, the movie lets you know that they're not shying away from the horror elements of this. They're going to they're saying, oh, no, 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 no. Motherfuckers are going to bleed and they're going to get stabbed in this movie. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, there's quite a lot of blood. Yes. And that particular death, not while it's not the most bloody, it no. does exactly that. It sets you up for like, oh shit, there's going to be blood everywhere. This is awesome. And that's actually important because if the movie did not start with that brutal kill right out the gate, you would be hard-pressed to pay attention if you're a pure horror fan 
wanting to watch this because there's horror elements in it. Yeah. Because it flips. We're brought 10 years into the future, and now it is an extremely squeaky clean, ironically so, but still squeaky clean theater geeks celebrating being back at camp in a world which they feel accepted probably the same way that I feel when I'm at like a comic book convention or something like that. And I'm like, oh, these are my peeps, finally. Because I'm not well-adjusted at all. and It's very like South Park, uh, Little Mountain Town kind of song. It, it is yeah. very South Park, Little Mountain Town. And it's made better by the fact that a lot of the singing roles are brought forth by children. One of the things I was going to say, oh, this is like how when we watched The Burning back in the day, uh, or years ago, no, <laughs> like not that long ago, but when we watched it and, and we took note about, oh, look, there's campers that look 85 years old and then there's campers that actually look like little kids at a, at a camp. This movie has the exact same dynamic. You could see there's a lot of different years, older ch- kids, but then there's a lot of like very young children that are also involved in this camp. Even that little tiny, tiny, tiny. She was so tiny. The she smallest was like, little girl in the like world. Like Cindy Lou Who. Yeah, she was like Cindy Lou Who. Yeah, she's very much like Cindy Lou Who. Um, but all of them can sing. And all of them, there's a, a pretty large cast when you think about it. Like, there is a, a core cast of maybe five or six players that we really get to know. But even the little um, kids that just have little tiny bit parts, so to speak, mm-hmm. they have a really distinct personalities brought yeah. about mostly because of the songs they sing. That's absolutely true. And so the cast balloons up because of that to about 15, 15 people. Yeah. Uh, and then and then other familiar extras that'll be around those characters. So it's, it, yeah, it's got a pretty robust cast. And we're reintroduced to the siblings now all grown up. About 17. 17. And yeah, you get a sense that they'd be on the cusp of... 19 or something like that yeah i'd hope so because some of those stage production outfits they were given i was like wow what pretty racy you think i think for the fact that it's a kid's summer camp and their parents are coming to watch them i feel eh. a little bit uh, like by the time you when you see the production though i don't think it's that bad well, a lot of what they were wearing to practice and these are all the older kids, mind you. True, yes. And there's a lot of uh, sexual in- innuendo, so half of them have probably slept with one another. Anyone over the age of 13. Well, they're, they're, they're artsy. They're it's artsy. camp. It's camp. Yeah, it's worse than Bible camp, band camp, together. Did you together. ever go to camp? We've never talked about this. Did no, you ever have a I camp experience? never. I was a camp counselor. I did crafts for like three years. Really? Yeah. My great aunt ran Golden Lake Camp, and I have vague memories of going there and hating it not because i'm not into singing and activities and eating with children it was that i was a child myself let me point that out um (laughs) it was that you're separated into groups and there was enough of an age difference between me and my siblings that all of a sudden i was just with kids i didn't know and i just i get i lock up in situations like that when i'm surrounded by too many strangers so it was awful. And I can't even remember why we really had to go. Because we had a cottage growing up. Yeah. Well, we still have it. but And so that was kind of like, oh, well, I go to summer camp when like boating and swimming and campfires, it's all it's there and it's our property. So why not just enjoy that as opposed to, I guess, spending money or, or being with a bunch of strangers. and See, we went cottaging, but not like in, like my parents didn't send me to a camp with other kids. Because that's not okay. something that I would have ever enjoyed. They wouldn't have never done that. Like, they put um, me in tennis lessons, music lessons, and swimming lessons, but not, like, in a day camp scenario or even to send me to camp. Um, 
the whole idea just not for me but we did go we'd take like a week or two and one of my aunts owned like a, a, a campground for grown-ups and families not like we wouldn't have activities and stuff but there was like a lodge and a so bunch like, of cabins. okay i get you same so, sort of setting but not with a bunch of kids and activities and counselors and stuff just yeah yeah normal human being stuff like reading books and roasting marshmallows or whatever no okay so we we have like a basic idea of the camp experience um but i've definitely never been to like a theater camp because these kids are super serious about it and apparently the entire summer is dedicated to this or at least a month of it because they come to camp they decide on a director and they do auditions for a cast and they're going to revive this watching of the opera which her mother her mother had died opening night of so yeah and her mom's ex-boyfriend the producer runs this camp yeah. and has taken those two kids and now 17 the twins under his wing so it's sort of a, a really an emotional thing for him i'm sure but more so for the daughter yeah the, the the two siblings are cooks at the camp now and what we find out is meatloaf is kind of in dire straits because he's got bills piling up. He has not had a hit. He hasn't produced a thing in 10 years since their mother died. And yeah. he's been running this camp probably just on a shoestring budget. Minnie Driver's character was apparently the golden goose, the this this absolute brilliant talent that was going to bring them both up into the upper echelons of theater. And it didn't happen, obviously, because she was killed. And he's been floundering, which is... Probably a state of mourning in a way, but yeah. yes. Now the reviving haunting of the opera. Camilla, who's Ally McDonald's character, she sees this as an opportunity to audition for the play. You get a sense that she's always wanted to be part of the stage, to be like her mother, to always have a song. It kind of seems weird to me that she was relegated to kitchen duty all of this time. They've been at this camp for 10 years because he makes a big point in his uh, second song, I think. Or mm-hmm. I guess it was Meatloaf's first song. It's the third song of the film. Uh, to make it very clear that they've had the camp running for 10 years. Yes. And so they've been on kitchen duty since they were eight years old. Um, <laughs> she's obviously always had an interest in the stage and singing in theater. So I don't know why he never like fostered that but again as pointed out also he's not their dad he isn't their father and he probably just felt well i guess i'll take these kids and continue what i'm doing how that developed into well i can't get another production off the ground so i guess i will start running a camp that will usher in a new generation of performers maybe i'll find my star in that cattle call and i'll relegate these two kids that i I'm raising because of my dead ex as Cinderella and Cinderella. Cinderella, yeah. Buddy, her brother, seems to have a dream of a restaurant. He wants to have a restaurant. A restaurant. A restaurant. A restaurant. He wants to have a restaurant. You're working on your list. Yeah, right after Wabbit season. Yeah, because he enjoys the kitchen thing, obviously. (laughs) He's not into theater whatsoever. No, in fact, he refers to the campers as, you know, Theater geeks, the dorks. Uh, freaks. Freaks. Yeah. You know, not liking them at all. They're not normal. They're not normal because they like to sing and dance. That's and what he I says. I tell yeah. you, they're normal, maybe better than normal, maybe better than all of us. I figured you would enjoy this film. <laughs> <laughs> I I like singing and, 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 and dancing and stuff like that. Now, 
she auditions, but she's not really supposed to because she is technically an employee of the camp. Yeah, she has to kind of butter up uh, the guy doing intake. He's a technician. He's a lighting guy, mm-hmm. uh, Joel. She has to kind of butter him up a little tiny bit, just like, you know, if you do this for me, I'll owe you one. Because I guess the policy enforced by her, I keep wanting to say like her dad or her like stepfather. stepfather is, it's not like, accurate, but for lack of a better description, her guardian, her guardian, yeah, that's character. good. Uh, Roger, enacted by him that staff cannot participate in the yes. plays. So she has to, like, kind of weasel her way in there. And I guess the ace in the hole is that she has an amazing voice. And not only that, her mother died in that lead role. So it's sort of like a shoe-in. Yeah. She auditions. The director is immediately smitten and... I mean, the, the, her obvious talent cannot be denied. No, it's obvious, very obvious, and understandably so. She's the perfect person for this role. Yeah, absolutely. But uh-oh. Then, you know, there's, there's a rival in all of this. Of course. Another girl <laughs> who wants the lead role, who seems to be the girl that gets all of the plum parts. Not that she's that good of a singer, no. Maybe she earns these positions on her back? I don't know if that's... Well, I mean, the the implication seems to be everyone's very sexually active, but I don't... Uh, but but also we learn that, well, that's definitely works on at least the director. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 this, uh, this rival girl, played by um, Melanie Leishman, who was uh, the sort of meek nerdy girl in Todd and the Book of Pure Evil so this is like a very different type of role for her although there was singing in a couple of episodes of that show too uh she plays Liz and so it's it's those two ladies for the lead role and every time you see there's like a montage of production like day 23 all the way up until they lead to the opening day uh this whole time uh Allie's character is trying to imply that she'll sleep with him but every time she pulls back or he well he he starts it by saying oh you're well i'm gonna kiss you and then she pulls back and then oh now all of a sudden liz is the one that's actually practicing on stage and and she's been relegated to the side and then she starts flirting and then starting to you know, use her feminine wiles. Yeah. And, oh, all of a sudden now she can go back on stage. And so... I, like the skimpier her outfits get, too. Y- yeah, yeah, The more yeah. stage time she's getting. Yeah, and, you know, the more she's willing to be intimate with him. Not actually going all the way and having sex, because no. she's still pulling back on that. Uh, but, I mean, it definitely makes the director seem, like, super sleazy. And it also, like... Oh, like, he straight up dangles it over her head too. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, be, like quid it, pro it, quo. It's, it's super obvious. Like he doesn't flat out say like, "If you do this, I'll I will like put you in the lead." But like every time she gives him a little, he gives her a little, and then the second time she pulls away, he's like, "Well," and then he just walks away. And and to the point where when she decides to not sleep with him, he walks out the door on her. Not really saying anything, just saying, you know, like, just out he goes. Yeah. And then she's like, wait. And then she, you know, undresses a little bit. And then he, like, literally, it's it's fucking ridiculous. Like, the idea that he walked out the door and, and like, in my just head. waited he, there. He's just standing there, just like, three, 
two, one. Wait! Wait! <laughs> Jackpot. And then he, like, turns yeah. on his heel, goes back in the room, and then they start getting intimate again, and then she decides, no, she doesn't want it this way. Fair. Yeah. And then he just, like, well, then you're not getting the lead. Which is fucking vile, but... It's fucking super sleazy and gross. I guess he's been taught that he can behave like this by other lead actresses. Yeah. That's what I'm assuming. Not only is he a little sleazy, he's also... This he's has worked sleazy. for him in the past. Yeah, yeah. He, and, uh, you know, he's the director. He gives himself the the lead male role. Yeah. Because he's also a, 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 a camper, we should say. Yeah, he's, he's super cliche. And he's, yeah, 18 or yeah, something, like very, which is so very, sad. Very theatrical, very full of himself, and very much in the camp of... Well, if you sleep with me, I will give you the lead. Somewhat sleazy director. He does it very, very well. He's cast really well and he plays it really well. And all his dialogue is really on point as far as this, you know, pseudo sleazy director guy who actually is invested in the show for sure, Mm -hmm. but also invested in getting the sweet, sweet pussy. Yeah, got to get that. (laughs) Or at least to touch her bra, because I think that's about the extent of what he actually gets, but whatever. Yeah. So the production's going ahead. It's time for the show to to, to go. It's like happening the next day. Yeah, that amazing montage contains a little bit of the horror tropes that I really enjoyed. Aside from the little bit of, you know, the little hits of of terror that you get from the first kill, Mm -hmm. and just some of the, like, the buildup and the red herrings and Mm. the normal horror like hits you have to or the normal horror beats you have to hit yes um you get a cute montage while they're building all the sets and everything where they have a a foam dummy head with pins all in it like pinhead which is awesome yeah um there's the one kid that's doing a lot of the construction work that actually does the leatherface chainsaw dance with a circular saw yeah from uh, texas chainsaw yeah one of my absolute favorite little <laughs> montages ever. And it's funny because he kind of had like the wild hair and he was dre- dressed in such a way that kind of suggested Leatherface. Slightly, yeah. Like, like kind of vaguely. You're like, oh, okay, I get what you're supposed to do. If you put a smock on him, you would have been like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Totally. Yeah, yeah people slopping around red paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They, had, uh, they, had, like, uh, they had like the, the, the red bucket in the stage rafters a la Carrie. Yeah. Yeah, pouring paint in out of one bucket into another bucket and hoisting it up with a rope. Yeah, all that was contained within that montage. And yeah. That, during that time when they're building that whole, you know, uh, Liz's character is upstaging Camilla and then slowly Camilla is upstaging Liz. During all of that, then you start to see some of the other character building going on. Yes. Between the rivals, Liz and Camilla. Yeah, the, the poor backstage boy. That, uh, yeah, Joel. Joel, he um, he keeps seeing Camilla cozying up to the director in order to get the lead role, which she so desperately wants. Very Phantom of the Opera too. His songs. It's, it's yeah. very Phantom of the Opera. Uh, there is the 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 main song from Haunting of the Opera. The the main chorus is very similar, not in lyrics, but in the the bars used as Angel of Music. Mm-hmm. So. I, like and I, that's definitely not by accident. Oh, not at all, not at all. All of a sudden, we're treated to our first death in a bit, and that's the thing about this movie that I think it was really important for them to set up a really brutal kill right up at the get go because there is a chunk of this movie that you would not think for a second 
you were watching a horror movie. No, all. you have to be interested in the music and the character building going on. You, you really have to. You really to. do, because it is one of those movies very much like a lot of slashers that don't really parcel out the death equally. I mean, it's very backloaded. And this movie has a has a pretty good body count, but I for, I'm forgiving a lot because the first kill grabbed my attention right away. Yes. Throat, throat, mouth. Like, it's very, you know... Nice and gory. Yeah, and nice and gory. Really brutal. Really brutal. And, and then, and then you're, you're like, okay, well, there's going to be more of the same. Because that was just the first kill. No way that that's it. And then it's not going to be that bloody or bloodier. Yeah. So the director has chosen his lady, Liz, by virtue of the fact that Camilla wouldn't sleep with him. Of course. Well, he's getting ready, getting ready for... The opening night, everyone's gone home, and he's just sort of in that moment zenning, I suppose. Yeah, it's the day before opening night, of yeah, course. He's big... getting himself all jazzed. Yeah, and, well, we're introduced to our killer fully. We've seen the killer a couple of times before doing some very squealy-voiced 80s hair metal, you know. Little ref- rants, little rants. tiny rants where he's in some sort of like basement type setting and he's looking very creepy and mm-hmm. uh, very shadowed. Very shadowed. You don't really get a good look but at him. But it's 30 seconds. Yeah, but our, for the bits. first good look you get at him in all his glory. And he looks, he's got a cool look about him. One of the things about this movie is about the haunting of the opera is that it's very much like the fan of the opera it takes place probably in Europe just like the original play does uh or in and around that time period so a lot of frilly dresses and fans and 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 that kind of thing but for artistic expression the director has decided that there it's going to be set in feudal Japan and it's going to be a kabuki bukaki not bukaki kabuki that's, I have to say my favorite line is, it is it when is. he's trying to set up all of his actors and he's like, what Japanese tradition also involves having your face covered in white? And, and the so, male lead's like, bukkake? A bukkake? And then, and then right next to him, the little, the, the little kid next to him says like, kabuki. And I was like, did that little girl get that joke? <laughs> there's a lot of adults that wouldn't even get that joke yeah that's true yeah but i think it was the funniest part of the show it's a pretty good line so yeah it it is um the masked killer and it's not out of place at all for him to look even more menacing than he does because of this kabuki flavor that they're giving him mm-hmm. uh he's got some cool weapons about him i like the the uh, modified like well, it's supposed to be like circular saw blades, which is super cool. Yeah, I really liked it. It's yeah. like the, he's sort of dual wielding the stuff. It's neat. Um, but we're started off with him dropping stage lights on a very, like, I mean, like any more cliche and it would be like the sandbags dropping. Yeah. And, but uh, it's really cool. And while the director gets the one of the, the stage lights are connected by like this little grip thing and you tighten it up and that grip. The whole thing falls on his foot and punctures his foot. Yeah, as C-clamp if... right through the foot. That's right, the C-clamp, thank you. It punctures his foot. And I was like, unless his <laughs> unless his foot's made of, like, paper mache, I don't see how the C-clamp was going to puncture his foot through his shoe and 
nail him to the stage yeah i don't know have you ever sharpened a c-clamp for any reason at no all? and i mean those no. lights are heavy but not that heavy no yeah and anyway he gets pinned right to the floor he's the the killer very likes his one-liners oh i like his one-liners too and he's break a leg pushes the guy off the guy's foot rips in half <laughs> like it's made of paper mache and then the director sort of clunks him with the stage light Good for him for finding the summoning the strength after half of your foot just got ripped off. And then just off in the distance, he sees a stage box marked swords, swords. and it actually glints in the moonlight. It's actually kind of funny. It does real. They do add an effect where it ding, yeah. almost like if you were playing Legend of Zelda or something like that, and it shined a little bit to indicate that your character could pick up the item or something like yeah. that. He grabs the swords. The sword box opens it too late. The killer's back up and. Well, he meets his end. But Meatloaf's got a lot riding on this production. His body is discovered. Everyone's understandably upset. Yep, they want to call their parents. They want to go home from camp. They yeah. you know, think he should call the police. He thinks about calling the police and decides no, because he gets a call from, I don't know where, Broadway? Is this what this is Mr. Broadway calls. 42nd Street Productions? Yeah, Mr. Broadway. Yeah, Mr. Broadway calls and says, I'm coming to the show. And this is the equivalent of... In an old sitcom where, like, the boss is coming to dinner. This is exactly what Meatloaf needs. He's constantly pouring over a bunch of, like, final notices and past due notes. He's trying to get this guy to come because this was the same guy that came to see his ex on her opening night and had showered her with accolades. Unfortunately, she was getting killed backstage. Right? So she would have been a star because this guy was so interested in her. So now he has this guy again so interested in his... Mm-hmm. Feudal Japan inspired but take you, on the even, same even play. Even though reviving the haunting of the opera kind of intrigues him, the Kabuki take on it, he seems to find it more like, eh, that's yeah, that's funny, that's kind of interesting, I guess. Yeah. But the big thing is, well, her daughter is going to be re- taking over the role, the the perfect successor. It is so, and I can see why he'd come, and I can see why this would be so important to Meatloaf. Right. Um, or Roger. It's Meatloaf. Uh, <laughs> Mr. A Day. So it becomes Camilla's now has the role. It was going to go to Liz, but no, Meatloaf is like, no, 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 no. The, the whole reason why this guy is coming is for her. So I'm definitely selling her on that. Liz is not happy. No, by this point, she's decided theater is just not for her. She is, her and her brother want to leave. He wants to leave. He's wanted to leave all this time. So it's an easy sell when she's like, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. So they're actually packing up to leave. Yeah, they're pretty much done. Yeah. And then, of course, Roger reels her back in. Well, because he needs her desperately now. Yeah. And then he almost has like a cult leader scene where he's calming the kids down and convincing them that the show must go on. Yeah. Uh, Trying to explain that. Through song, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to remind everyone, this is a musical. Everyone is just back on board. If someone died, we'll wait a day, just a day. Yeah. The body will keep. I don't know. We'll call the cops tomorrow. You can all go home if that's what you feel you need to do. Yeah. But Broadway. Broadway, kids. Mr. Broadway. Yeah. The production starts off. Everyone's excited. Everyone's ready. Everyone... I wouldn't say forgot that somebody died because there are a couple of characters, like her brother and uh, Joel. Actually, the Joel. lighting technician yeah. is 
very, very concerned and saying, you can't do this. Yeah. You need to not be in this show. Your mother died. There's a killer here. Yeah. What do you well, people the, think? Everyone, Meatloaf and everyone are framing it as an accident. Oh, yeah. But Joel is saying, no, 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 no. This was murder. Yeah. Yeah, he's very convinced. He's very worried, but he's not going to take off himself either no. because he does. He does like her. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Even though she's not reciprocated whatsoever. No. Bit of a bitch, but he is still going to stick around to try and help make sure she's safe as best he can. And I guess maybe he just likes lighting that much. Hey, you know what? It's an important job. It is an important job. I mean, how many times have we harped on movies for shitty lighting? No, and that's one of the only. Uh, aspects that I would really ever participate in a theater production as some sort of behind-the-scenes role myself. I think it's sometimes more important. Well, I can tell you this for 100% certainty, it all needs to work, and everyone in a stage production needs to be doing their job because it is a giant conflation of people Oh yeah, that need to make a singular piece of art happen, and the backstage people... To the actors on stage, to people doing the music, to the stage manager, everybody's job is absolutely imperative because when somebody fucks up, you will notice. Oh, yes. And the audience will notice. Absolutely. No matter at what juncture of that chain mm-hmm. breaks, yeah. they will they yeah. will have an it's impact like you need in good, the final production. You need good set designers. You need good lighting. You need tons of people. Like, yeah. Like people in the back helping with the costume uh, wardrobe changes. There's all kinds of stuff. That... All these kids understand that too. So oh, they yeah. all stick around even though where you're saying like they don't ignore that this happened but they're more invested in getting this production this opening night done mm-hmm. and done well. Um, one of the, the littlest girl, little Cindy Lou who is sitting there with her dad and her dad's like so I haven't heard from you in a while and she just looks at him like Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to talk to me sometime. He's like, wait, like nope. wait, wait till after the production is over. I mean, if you were to dedicate that much time and energy over the over a month, and this is your passion, I mean, for fuck's sake, yeah. In between your schooling, you're going to this place to do this thing to essentially work over the summer. Yeah. Even though it's something that you're passionate about, it's still work. And then to at the last minute. Oh, it's not going to go on. I could see that it would be very easy to convince a group of people, especially in a crowd. Yeah. That one especially day, artists that have worked towards something huge. Yeah. One more day. One more day. And then we'll call the police. And then we'll call the police. That's an awesome yeah. idea. Yeah. But that's basically what goes on. Yeah. And all the parents are assembled. Mr. Broadway shows up and yep. everything. It's about to go. But the opening number goes off without a hitch. And it's great, you know, uh, everyone seemed, uh, we just might pull this off, but I mean, we are watching a horror movie. And there was a killer in the loose. That is indeed true. So, the bodies start piling up. Thank fuck. Thank fuck. So, the first one to get it is the guy that's playing the stage killer, the the fake killer. Yeah. And Who's wearing the mask. Who's wearing the mask. You gotta, you gotta get his outfit. He's like, I need my outfit. To and do. it's a cool mask. It's like, a, like a, it's not an Oni mask, but what is it when it's like a uh, really menacing looking um, mm-hmm. samurai type mm-hmm. mask. It is a really cool mask. Mm-hmm. I like the mask a lot. Yeah, it's very cool. But he and has a quick change. So he has to go backstage and he has a quick change because he's all like, you know, rock star, leading guy, right? So right. Yeah, he does have a quick change. 
uh, he encounters the, the the menacing groundskeeper. They have that. Yeah, they, they, big, uh, yeah they, groundskeeper. They, 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 they throw in the, the classic red herring of creepy groundskeeper. And as anyone who watches these types of movies know, it's never the fucking groundskeeper. Ever. No. Ever. I was like, if I was ever in a situation where I felt like I was in a slasher, I would fucking go to the creepy groundskeeper and just be like, "You, we're on a team now. You and me. <laughs> team, it's true. Team creepy. Yeah, because not only will he probably not get killed, yeah. he probably knows who the killer is and he's certainly not the fucking killer yeah you know you gotta get him liquored up first get him liquored up and then he'll like regale you with like a story from like 20 years ago yeah when this whole thing happened again (laughs) um they've got the creepy groundskeeper as your red herring they've got the um jealous girl the rival jealous girl that's your red herring and then uh the jealous boy joel joel and so they have a bunch of mr x yeah and i suppose this is the part of the movie that I feel, I'm not going to say it falls apart, but well, not like the stage production itself falls apart. <laughs> Does it ever, yeah. But I feel like it was so backloaded and they took so many key players out of this, the the haunting of the opera so quickly that when the stage production started to fall apart, and then it's really stopped being a musical. And and that's fine, except for the fact that it is a musical. Yeah, you've been invested all this time. You had that large gap where it's like you had a nice kill at the beginning, but then you almost have forgotten you're watching a horror film, right? Because yeah. it's a good little movie. Yeah. It's a good little intrigue. It's a good little uh, thriller, so to speak, that's mm-hmm. a musical. So you've sort of put yourself into this is a musical mode because it is. Yeah. Once the stage production falls apart, like once the once the, the, the first kill happens, it's fucked. Yeah, like, everyone starts panicking. They can't get a hold of him on his headset. They can't find him. The, yeah. um, uh, what do you call the girl in the back that's doing like the wardrobe? The wardrobe, wardrobe, girl? wardrobe girl? Yeah. She's... Uh, she got pinhead. She got pinheaded. It was awesome with roofing yeah. nails, no less. Yeah. And his one liner, nailed it. <laughs> Love that. The, the killer, um, I I like him. Hot, a lot of energy. Yeah. Nice performance. Oh, man, he's, for a guy with a mask on. But yeah. He's screeching those lines. I kind of wish that, like, he had like a Freddy Krueger vibe to him. The same, because, you know, Freddy Krueger, like, had those types of lines. Fucking walk over to prime time, bitch, and, like, yeah. stuff like that. But I think because he had, like, a high-pitched voice this killer had, it sounded... Yeah, he only like, has a few good death growls. Not many, not an, enough. I it was very him, hair metal. I, I wanted him to be... Yeah, because, like, he's he's got, like, he's got, like, the low, like, but then he's, like, like, like really high. Yeah, like, mostly. Yeah, so it's fucking... It's really weird. And when he was delivering those lines, I wanted a lower register. Me too. And to have him be more menacing. Like, cause he was right. a little more menacing at the beginning. Those first, those two little 30 second clips. And I really wish that they would have shown more of that. Cause you could have had him, um, you could have had more horror type things. Cause he was like, uh, ranting in this little room and like, um, menacing pictures of them. And there was blood everywhere. So he was, uh, he was a very scary person and he had this guttural, guttural voice, but only for two small portions. Um, and then the next time you really see him, he's got this operatic metal kind of screeching. Um, yeah. So it's taking you out of him being menacing, where he almost give, becomes comical, unfortunately, because he is so fucking cool looking. And he is tough and he's fast and he's he's out to kill. And he, aside from the one-liners and stuff, 
that's his he accomplishes accomplishes his goal and he's quite the killer but if they would have like ramped up his character just with his voice even using that as a tool to have him eventually reach that shrieking banshee maniacal killer level at the end Mm -hmm. instead of basically the most time you spend with him he's out of control and screeching well he's like he's super hyperactive i mean the dude is at 11 the entire performance yeah uh voices uh what's his face uh rick miller who uh, comedian Mm -hmm. uh and you know a voice talent himself does a lot of voice work and stuff like that so uh he's definitely channeling 80s hair metal like distinctly i thought it was interesting watching the movie the whole time and i meant to tell you because the only thing I could concentrate on was, you know, it sure is funny that a dude that hates theater kids so much is so theatrical. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, and like, the most over-the-top one of all. Of I know. Them, I was really. like, dude, you are in a basement with pictures and and scraping your saw blades over their images while wearing a cape. Like, there's <laughs> nothing more theatrical than what you're doing. Yeah. Because uh, uh, it's almost like people, like, looking at, like, oh, my God, look at those kids with their squeaky clean pop music. I like metal music. That's real music. It's like, look at those squeaky clean theater kids. I like my real hardcore theater. Yeah, I need, I need passionate drama and masks and capes. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. You're totally right. They're just totally so right. funny to me. I was like, fuck, this dude's theatrical. Back, Meanwhile, back on stage, while all these bodies are happening, it's just, they don't know what to do. Liz, who was going to try to pull a carry on Camilla by do- dropping the paint bucket on her to, I don't know. Yeah, yeah she's up there on the rafters, mm-hmm. like, about she, to put the paint on her on yeah. one of her. It's not the main song, and it's not the finale by any means, mm-hmm, but it's no. like the middle point where she has her, like, stage embrace. It's the stage Exactly, it's, a, it's where she was supposed to be, like, hurried off by the, the phantom. phantom. Yeah. Well, <laughs> nothing ends up happening, and Camilla gets off stage because the killer, the phantom, the actor playing the phantom is dead. So now all of a sudden a new phantom comes on stage and they're just sort of wobbling around. They can't really seem to speak or do anything. Yeah, they're tied up. Tied up, like, what's going on? And the stage manager, who has been losing his mind this entire time, ends up going up on stage and they have, like, this weird dance routine and mercifully, mercifully, that cuts away to what's going on backstage, and that's Camilla discovering the bodies. Um, the wardrobe girl. Pinhead. Pinhead. <laughs> uh, one of the other actresses in the play that was, she was doing a lot of annoying vocal exercises with. It didn't really jump for me because being in radio, I remember a lot of people doing those vocal exercises. Oh, it was so fucking annoying to me. It is, but at the same time, I get it. Yeah, and, I get it too. Um... She's kind of taken off. She's put in a boiling hot shower, and he's like, "Let me help you warm up." <laughs> I was hoping that it would be as unbelievable as uh, Halloween Two, where a girl dies in the hot tub because well, like, hot tubs definitely like, reach like two hundred fucking degrees. I know, it yeah. essentially boil someone alive. I was hoping, I was hoping that it would be that outlandish because they had already had this foot tear in half with a C clamp nailed to the stage, like it's made of 
paper mache. So <laughs> I thought I was hoping it would be that outlandish, but no, she just gets killed. Yeah, because um, I thought they were going with that direction yeah. too, and I was like, oh my god, like I'll stretch the line of credulity to some areas, but not here. Not not the idea that like. A shower is going to boil someone. In horror film, I will believe that a shower can reach 200 degrees in scalding hot temperatures. I will. I'm sorry. Not in real life, but in horror film, I'm fine with that. Well, all right then. Mm-hmm. I just... <laughs> Sharpen up those C-clamps, boys. Sharpen up those. They're Fuck. coming for your feet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with it. He 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 uh, clips the guy's fingers off with that sword box too. Yeah, yeah. That guy is literally left in pieces. They were, and they alluded to that he was left in pieces on the stage too. Mm-hmm. So aside from just his uh, his death, which is pretty bright, but he uh, was apparently chopped up. I wish we would have seen a little more. There's enough. There's enough, but I agree. For all the squeaky cleanness and the big chunk of time feels like 30, 40 minutes almost of no killing whatsoever. Mm. I would have enjoyed more time spent on the kills. Very quick, but I mean, they are brutal. And then we're brought to... Well, Meatloaf sees that something's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, finally. Finally. Because there's no one left to participate in the stage production. The stage production is falling the fuck apart. And... So he tries to... He's freaking out. Mr. Broadway himself is here. Yeah. And they're just barely keeping the audience in their seats at this point because it has completely fallen apart. The stage manager has figured out what's going on because he's taken the mask off the person that was on stage with him mm-hmm. and tied up and unable to speak, and it's Liz. Mm-hmm. Nothing... Cr- I thought uh, maybe something crazy, maybe her throat had been cut or something no gruesome. Tongue. No yeah. tongue. or or something gruesome like that. But no, for some reason, she's spared any real harm, and she's just been taped and gagged. I think that it was entirely just a diversion tactic to keep everyone in the stage production so that the killer could go uh, after who he needed to kill. You know, Meatloaf gets a pipe to the head. Yeah. And then we're brought to the killer's only real song. And a part in the movie where I thought, oh, okay, we're going to get exposition song and it's gonna be I was kind of liking it I was like alright like the killer's gonna get a song I thought it was gonna be like in Repo like a thankless job like some a song like that where the killer gets a really good number and I was I was poised for it and it kind of just turns into which I enjoyed him just shredding on a guitar yeah because he just loves metal and flubbing lyrics but like whatever yeah uh, I also wish that it would have been a little more hard hitting than it was mm-hmm. and especially because all of the songs really do build the story mm-hmm. and there is a lot of the exposition contained within the songs his song really doesn't no it's just basically shut up fat man i'm gonna kill you yep then comes the moment of truth it's time to find out who this killer is because camilla is on the case she has discovered all the dead bodies yep she wants to stop whoever is killing because she has a pretty damn good idea who it is. Yep. She finds one of those circular saws and it's cut from a lid of a large can of tomato sauce. Yep. Something her and her brother are very well acquainted with. Yeah, because there was a little scene that we were treated where he was opening big cans of tomato sauce. Yeah. So it's definitely her brother. It's definitely her brother, which... 
for the first time ever, I actually saw coming. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to frame it like this. It's because we just watched Prom Night. We definitely just watched Prom Night, which is very similar. Although this brother doesn't make it a secret that he hates theater geeks. No, not at all. That also had a lot to do with it. I was like, you know, you have a character calmly explaining that they don't like theater people. And then you you cut to a dude in a basement screeching very (laughs) theatrically that he doesn't like. Your songs are shit. Yeah, your songs (laughs) are shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they they definitely draw that parallel a couple times between the they brother do. and the killer. Um, unlike Prom Night, where he's completely innocuous, but it is very similar. Where I think in Prom Night they were twins, and I didn't, you know, really set this up entirely like that. It just luck would have it that this follows a really similar plot to Prom Night. It does. I mean, a lot of the details are different, but the basics of what ends up happening is we find out. That the original killer was the one, the only, Meatloaf. And Buddy, her brother, witnessed it as a young boy. And Meatloaf killed their mother out of jealousy. She was having an affair. Yeah, I really enjoy how they folded the story in on itself where you see the beginning, you see the mother die, and you see the exchange between Meatloaf and the mom right before that happens, Mm -hmm. which, you know, almost gives him an alibi. And all this time, you're thinking, like Camilla did all this time, that he had nothing to do with her death, and it was just a tragic accident, and there's some, some crazed fan or some random killer. But no, Buddy saw a totally different version of what we and Camilla remember. Mm-hmm. And this is accomplished by clearly the film, uh, the scene have been filmed two different ways. Yeah, just with a different lighting and tone mostly, but same and words. A lot of longer looks. Uh, everyone looks a lot more crafty and suspicious. Again, the when we are first introduced to the story, it's a dream that Camilla is having because we're we know it's 10 years later because she wakes up and she's very sweaty and you know nightmares and stuff like that Kristen Stewart levels of greasy hair and grossness that I'm just like wash your face wash your face wash, go wash your face give the girl a break go wash your face her mother was killed go wash your face um, so that is definitely the case and Buddy now who was very calm throughout the movie is now as a shit crazy oh he's raging yeah although just... this is not told to you in song no that's the other thing and I was disappointed I, I I was like, no, okay, so I'm not even going to get like a full villain song, but I don't even get the Oh My God, It's My Brother song. <laughs> now that you point that out now, because I was going to be like, you know what, I'm fine with that, I'm fine. Because I it becomes a horror movie and they play it straight mostly. Like it's yes. 99% played straight by this at this point. Mm-hmm. This whole um, reveal and yes. the showdown and the the sister trying to like reach out to what is human that's left of her brother yeah. and appeal to him for mercy mm-hmm. uh, against this guy who even now she knows killed her mother. Yeah. You know, all of that is very cool horror movie final girl end type scenario. Exactly. And it is played pretty fucking straight. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the way that they flubbed the fucking villain song thus far... I'm fine without a villain song, but now you know we don't get a "You Killed My Brother" song. Damn it! You're right. Damn it. I I'm thinking about this. Are you from, killed? Yeah, you killed my mother. Song. You killed my mother. I'm thinking about this from the perspective of 
you sat me down in front of a musical. Yes. So my brain instantaneously thinks, well, you need this and then you need that and then you need this because I'm and, and so now not to say that this is a wrong way to do it. It's a choice. They made a choice and this is oh, the choice sure. that they made. And they've the stage production as it exists within this film, the, the the theater within the film has been crumpled up like a piece of fucking newspaper and tossed into the trash because mm-hmm. it fell the fuck apart. Uh, and this and sort of does as well because there's no finale. No, not really. Now we cut back to the stage and uh, in in a funnier moment, Liz has been, he basically, the stage manager throws Liz onto the stage. It's like, fine, you wanted to be, you wanted this, like sing. Just, she's all beat up she's and all still has rope hanging off her. And, and she's just, her starts, hair's a mess. She's, totally, she's crying. totally fucked up. And then she starts singing the song. And then for whatever reason, the guy, the, the, the stage manager starts getting out on stage and it's like, oh, maybe this is my big moment. And, and so just these two sort of prima donnas trying to out-sing each other and and kind of walking in front of each other to try to outdo the other one. So like, look at me, look at me. Singing and, this very beautiful song. And it's funny because once they got off stage, the audience seemed kind of relieved, like, oh my God, thank God this is over. And then when they come out and she starts singing again, everyone's already kind of stand up and there's a sort of like this collective... Sigh, yeah, like, like, ah, shit. so they all sit back down, and this isn't over yet. And and Mr. Broadway himself is seems kind of intrigued, like, he seems more like he's sitting there now to be polite because the the the, the woman that she he went there to go see is not even performing anymore. Where is she? And I get the sense that he was. You know, what he did see of her was enough. He's sold. He's like, oh, I yeah, don't care he... how shitty the rest of this goes. And I see that it's falling apart because he knows theater. And he's just like, the shit has gone completely fucking wrong. And they're just trying to recover. For what reason, we don't know. They might as well just announce. Sorry, people. It's over. We fucked up. Uh, but from what he's seen of her in the one song she did sing, he's sold. Yeah. Yeah. So he sticks around because he's polite. Yeah, polite. Or maybe he wants to talk to her after the stage. For all he knows, no one died. Yeah. Um, And then while they're singing this song... The stage manager gets his feet tangled up in a rope that happens to be hanging just to the side of the stage. Like a fucking Scooby-Doo moment. (laughs) Very (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Swings! Like he just gets roped up. And we go back to Meatloaf and Buddy and there's been a struggle and... Uh, while Camilla got a skillet in the face, Buddy kind of turned around and was distracted, and then Meatloaf, now revealed to be the original murderer of their mother, knifes Buddy in the back. Now, Camilla asked Buddy why he didn't ever say anything, and what I dug about this was they actually went into the idea that Meatloaf terrorized him and scared him and did very much what you hear about in cases where people have witnessed crimes or been victims of crimes and are told in a way that, well, this is your fault. Look what happened. I told you to do something. And then threatened probably his life. Like, you know, beat him, like swatted him around a bunch of times. And yeah. you would imagine that that happened tons of times. Or a really good example right now in the news is that uh, torture and confinement case. A uh, young boy has be, had been... Uh, kept in his parents' basement and chained up and tortured yeah. and beaten for years. Yeah. And he's been convinced and brainwashed 
that it's his fault because he stole something. And we don't even know the case because it's still unfolding right now. Yeah. But it's being reported many times um, in the news right now that he doesn't want... He knows his father's a bad man and what he did was wrong, What he like the beating and the torture, but he doesn't want his dad to go to jail. But it's just the extent of this brainwashing, right? Yeah. But yeah. yeah, same sort of thing. He's been terrorized for 10 years. He's been too scared for 10 years mm-hmm. to say anything. And uh, finally... The tipping point would have been the the revival of of this play and the fact that his sister, his beloved sister, he loves his sister so much, wants to be part and of. That's all he now. really has. That's all he really has, and all he wants to do is let's go away, let's go away, let's let's do our restaurant, let's just do that. Yeah, and it's not going to happen. And now he's being completely threatened because this is how she dies. This is how, in his mind. His mother died, so this is how his sister's probably going to die. Mm-hmm. And he's terrified. So he finally makes a stand in his broken psyche way. In his broken psyche way. Very broken way. Um, uh, Meatloaf takes advantage of this, knifes him in the back, and then holy fuck, does he stab that kid a lot. I love overkill scenes in horror. Uh, normally it's reserved for the final girl finally killing the guy um, with some sort of phallic object. But I love that this is... Uh, Nice overkill guy on guy, and the bad guy's actually killing the other bad guy yeah, that wasn't bad so guys. bad. You got two bad yeah. guys fighting. And does he stab him? Holy shit. The uh, other nice super stabbing overkill scene, I think, um, Sherry Moon Zombie in House of Thousand Corpses. House of Thousand Corpses, yeah. yeah. I really like that. That's what it's sort of akin to, just the, mm-hmm. the brutality and the amount of stabbing going mm-hmm. on. What Where um, in Sherry Moon in that scene is is getting pure elation from stabbing every time it's like every stab she makes and that body's like a gift to her and yeah. she's giddy about it Milo on the other hand it's rage he's it, angry it's just furious yeah unbridled rage yeah, stab kill kill you dead 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 dead, yeah. dead dead you be dead now you are dead yeah and now it's an interesting situation and one that i've seen very rarely in horror where the slasher that's been menacing us for the entire film now is dead and a new killer is the threat. Yeah. Who was Meatloaf, who was the original character. So now Camilla is like running away from it. And and this is an interesting thing for, for Meatloaf Roger. I keep calling him Meatloaf just I because know, me too, but yeah. he's Meatloaf. Meat Raj. Meat Raj. <laughs> Meat Raj. Yeah. He... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he now has a massive problem on his hands. Because he just killed her brother. She knows he killed her mother. But he can't really kill her because that's his meal ticket. He's fucked without her. He's fucked anyway. True. But but, but you could see a kind of he's trying to like, maybe I could just sort of calm her down. Like, but because she, she's an adult, basically. You can't. Like, maybe a kid... Yeah, this has worked on her brother for 10 years. Yeah. You know, this terror tactic. Yeah. So, yeah, if he can just, like, calm her down oh, and yeah, tell like, Peter some line, like, like oh, yeah. it was really your brother killed your mom. It's okay. I've been trying to protect you all this time. He could have thought of something. And yeah. you could see that you could see that he doesn't really want to kill her. He wants to calm her down. Uh, also, so she won't tell anyone that he just killed her brother? Yeah, but I mean... killed her mom? Yeah, but I mean... He's still, he's not totally screwed from the authority. Well, he's not totally screwed because the only person that saw him do it is now dead. And mm-hmm. he was murdered a bunch of people. So who are you going to believe? Yeah. And 
and he killed him, but that was self-defense. Yeah, totally. So I mean, he he has it's plausible that he could have gotten out of that. But she's running away from him as if he's going to kill her. He is covered in blood, and he's a he, it's a great performance from Meatloaf. Aside oh yeah, from he, all his amazing songs, he yeah, uh, yeah. is covered in blood and scary by this point. Oh yeah, he looks yeah, he, terrible. Like like like. Meatloaf really has a look about him of like a really scary dad. You know what I mean? Like, like the idea. If I were to think of like, not to say that Meatloaf is an abusive dad, but like, I'm just saying that like, he's playing the role really well, and he really has well. like this red faced, raged look that when you're kind of you would kind of associate with like an older guy that might beat his children. Yeah. It, like, and he goes like from the beginning, of course, he because his look doesn't really change. It's just his, his temperament. Oh and yeah, stuff. for sure. Um, this he he plays the happy-go-lucky theater camp producer, runner owner type person, to this scary, terrorizing, abusive, vile, horrible killer. Mm-hmm. He does like a really really cool range in this actually. But by that point, he is scary. He is a huge threat mm-hmm. and. You know, he might just kill anyone that gets in his way while he's trying to bring her back. And considering how he just went apeshit on Buddy's body, oh. I feel like he's probably at that fevered pitch of madness and rage, right? Like, who knows what he's going to do? The same sort of passion that it took to kill the mom in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Which, you know... If you want to get psychological, stabbing her in her throat, which was the one thing that would have separated her from him. Uh, the thing that had separated Buddy and had ruined all of this was Buddy's love of his sister. So he got stabbed in the heart a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's a, deep. Yeah. He's, I feel like I learned something today. Bam. Bam. Uh, that's what horror movies do. It's true. They teach us a lot about ourselves mm-hmm. and musicals. Uh, Camilla grabs a circular saw and, and is struggling with him. But oh shit, it doesn't work. It's not plugged in. Yeah, it's kind of it's a cool tension builder because she's like, I don't want a circular saw him in the chest because yeah. like who would want to? That's yeah. just horrible. And she doesn't want to be a killer because she's not a killer. She's defending herself at this point. And when she does finally hit the trigger and it doesn't fire, we're kind of like, oh fuck. Mm-hmm. Typical of like the gun that doesn't go off and right, things like right. that in horror. Yeah, but oh shit, Joel with the assist. Yeah, doing his job. Doing his job as backstage production, right? He like, and that's what I'm talking about: a cohesive organism, all working towards the same goal. Yeah, a, a well-oiled team of, of of carving out meatloaf. Yeah, fucking right. So he plugs in those unplugged plugs. Yeah, he plugs it right in, and then you're good. Yeah, and, and the saw, circular saw, does just what a circular saw is designed to do. Really cool power tools. We had power tools in the last film that we covered with the Driller Killer. Now we have Stage Fright with this amazingly fun uh, circular saw. Crawl up the body almost. Yeah, because it would just... Circular saws do that. Mm -hmm. A lot of the motion of pushing a circular saw along is only to start the cut. It does definitely feed itself through. And it will go all wonky unless you guide it and push it just a little bit. But once it's in something, especially something soft, or it's probably catching on the ribs as it's going in, depending on what way the blade is in, I'd like to imagine that the blade has the teeth pointing upward so that it's crawling up of up his body as it chews through all that flesh viscera and um, cracking ribs as it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was super bloody, too. The stabbing was bloody. We... As much as we like to talk about the stabbing so far, it was very, very, very gory. Yes. For a stabbing. Um, this is nice and gory. And Super gory. the gore hound in me wants it to go on for another, you know, three minutes or something. Yeah. But 
this isn't a gore fest. Not really. I, the The kills are there to be messy and gory to counter the squeaky clean musical numbers that are going on around you. They're just as theatric, but not more so. Right. This is the other side of the same coin, yes. right? And that's their function, and they perform that well. And if you linger too long on one, then it becomes not meaningless, but it will lose its punch because of the fact that you're setting up a very bright and cheerful... I mean, a lot of this happens during the day. Uh, you know, the, the camp is very bright. Everyone's wearing clean clothes, pastels. Everyone's very happy and chipper, like nauseatingly happy and chipper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With a little bit of an edge to it, a little bit of sexuality thrown in there, a little bit of, of uh, you know, ostracization of the kids. Like, oh, my dad is mean to me and shit like that. There's a little bit of edge to things, but it's still squeaky clean beyond everything. Now, the movie essentially ends with Camilla now fulfilling her destiny, you could say, as uh, Mr. Broadway. Everyone's dead. <laughs> Mr. Broadway liked what he saw. And it's a year later, another time skip. And, well, she's going to be in The Haunting as the lead role, and now she's on Broadway. So all the success that her mother had now, she is going to have. And it just sort of caps off there with one more jump scare, one more sissy SpaceX arm, one more <laughs> Jason Voorhees coming out the boat. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, one, one tiny little... Just to also drive home, like you said, like, well, I guess she's fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, because she was quite terrorized by all of that. Mm -hmm. Her new manager, Mr. Broadway, had said near the very end, something like, well, you know, I just keep telling her that was in the past, and what you have to do is just keep going because someone else will if you don't. It's, it's actually kind of like shitty because you know there's money to be made here and, yeah. and and we want to make some money i mean it's not like you can see that he cares about her only so far as she's gonna be a big star she's, she's a product he sees her as uh, some yeah. sort of marketable value yeah she's but... beautiful she's talented yeah. all this great stuff um i wanted to talk about a little bit about uh she had a really i really dug her look when she had all the kabuki makeup on and the outfit done, and then as she slowly became more terrorized and that became more messed up and run and stuff like that, a lot of yeah. times you'll see like the, the the smeared mascara over the final girl. And I mean, like a lot of final girls sometimes are are completely caked in blood and mud and all kinds of stuff. But like there was just this, I, I don't know, she looked really cool. Like the blacks really and the subtle. reds. Yeah, I really like the uh, the way that they had done the makeup instead of just letting it naturally. And like part of me, if I were uh, doing makeup in film, I'd like to have it organically come off their face. So if they're all made up and then they go through all these arduous things and getting killed and... Uh, being around killing and running away from killers and tears and whatever. Um, I'd like to use what's happening on set to mm -hmm. affect the makeup in a natural, believable way. But they kind of amp it up a little and they give it a little more punch by adding definitely probably powdered makeup down her cheeks. Mm -hmm. So as that red makeup's running down, it's not just mm -hmm. running down willy-nilly in a really messy way. It's running down in a really pretty way. Mm -hmm. And it does look very, very pretty. Um, they've definitely changed the makeup, but very subtly. So it's not, you're not just like, oh, they've totally redone her makeup, mm -hmm. you know, for, for this. Um, it does sort of have a, a blend of, it's organically smeared off of her face, mm -hmm. but it's smeared off her face in a really pretty way, which is hard to achieve. I don't know how much, um, experience you have with running mascara on your face, but it's only not about... Not as much as you'd think. 
Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's only about one out of every 15 times that you're running mascara actually looks good. But I really like what they did with her makeup. I like the makeup when it was in its clean format, just yeah. the uh, white and the red with a little tiny bit of black. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the end, yeah, she looks pretty, pretty fucking terrorized. Mm-hmm. They do that is a really good face of of terror and anguish that mm-hmm. they have her. And I have to say, uh, across the board, all the performances were really good. Yeah, no, yeah, there isn't uh, one spot of bad or unbelievable acting in this at all. No, I think everyone's convincing. I think that the world that they've set up is really good. And honestly, I'll tell you this much. I went into this with my best foot forward. I really wanted to to love it as much as I love Rocky Horror or as much as I love Repo or Devil's Carnival. But the one thing that's keeping it from being as recommended to anyone who likes horror and likes musicals, they do exist, but any people that like those combinations of films, the only thing is I just wish they had a little bit more memorable music or at the very least. And I mentioned this to you as we turned the movie off after it was done. There was no real final number. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and and when I saw, when I saw Camilla on the stage, like over, like just looking out on the crowd, she's covered. Liz's body is covered in blood by this point, and yeah, she's yeah. terrorized, and she looks horrified. The crowd is finally clued in that there's something fucking wrong. Yeah, and then it cuts to black instead of a song. A song because I, I was like, well, where's your wrap up song? Where's the final number? Where's where's that moment on the stage where you're by yourself and you've gone through this ordeal? And you're going to express yourself through music because I thought she was going to kill herself. That's mm-hmm. what I, first time I saw this, I thought that this was going to be a whole like what Lady Macbeth scene or something. Oh, like uh, that would be interesting too. But I I was really hoping for a song. And you could say, well, there's why would they sing? Because the stage production is a complete mess. It's over. There's bodies everywhere. And my counter to that is, well, they were singing before there was yeah. a stage. This is a musical. This it's, is a musical. There's a musical in the, there's a. It, it's it's a, if if this was a musical that was, if this, sorry if this was a movie that had a musical in it with songs, that's different. Yes. But this is a musical that has songs in it, but it's also about a musical with songs in it. So. Yeah. You're either singing because it's a song in the musical or you're singing because it's a fucking musical and you're yeah. singing anyways. You know what I'm saying? Like they they all went into a huge number when they got to camp. That doesn't yeah. happen naturally. No, people it does don't not. break out into songs. This is not song. glee. No, this isn't glee. Like people don't break out into songs with choreography and all this other shit. So since you've created that world, put your dick in all the way. And where's my final song? Yeah. Nope, you don't get one. What you get is a terrorized girl cringing because they've gone one hundred percent horror movie by this point. They have it's not and, a musical anymore, and, that, and that's fine. Yeah. And and so and I don't hate it because. But you're right because you've been led in now to yeah. a musical, and you want it to end like a musical. Yeah. So you feel kind of ripped off, maybe a little bit. But I, like the horror, the part of the movie that's just straight horror, I like. I like it too. Um, it's paying homages in all the right ways. It's being respectful of all the source material. It's not winking at the camera and saying this is a horror movie, but it is including things that will remind you of horror movie tropes. Yeah. It, it includes things that remind you of theatrical stage productions. It, th- it throws in uh, like visual cues, musical cues. Like there's stuff from, like I said, Family Opera. There's stuff from Jesus Christ Superstar in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, ha- you have like a lot of good stuff in this movie. I just wanted... 
But that doesn't explain its performance at the box office because no one knew that going into it. Was it a lack of um, excitement? Was it a lack of uh, promotion? Was it a lack of distribution? Um, what is it? And I, I want to say, and I felt weird, and that's a part of it, like, not only because I knew you would love it so very <laughs> fucking much that I bring this one to the table, but it was yeah. like, I, I like this movie. I like it too. And I think it's not, I, I want to say criminally underrated, but it's not, not criminally underrated, but it's... It's underrated. It well, is underrated. Absolutely underrated. I don't know anyone that's ever fucking seen this film, uh, especially not Canadian horror fans, because it is a Canadian it's horror ca- it, film. It's Canadian and it's... It came out, Todd in the Book of Pure Evil yeah. did very well. It did, yeah. This is a great show. riding on the coattails of that. And, I, and, and that's actually a really good parallel. Not only does it have, you know... It's got the same aesthetic. Todd of the Book of Pure Evil was a very fun series. There was very gory horror elements in it, for sure. Like, unequivocally, it's a horror TV show. But there was fun in it. They had musical episodes in the, those episodes. They were In certain episodes, they were funny. It was a mm-hmm. good show. And this has the same thing going for it. It's funny. It's got great acting. It's got great production. I wish some of the songs were better, but that's... That's but whatever. I also wish some of the South Park songs are better because I do. Exactly, the South Park fans would enjoy this. South Park fans, yeah, exactly. I think that you know this movie. uh, I'm hoping the the box office was just a few thousand dollars. Sad, and and I, I was like, wow. And I'm hoping that. That's not including DVD sales or any or foreign distribution. Like you said, did it open on one screen for yeah. one night? Yeah, one <laughs> night only. Here's one screen. I, I was like, Jesus. Did everyone die? Did everyone die? <laughs> like, I, what I, the fuck? Like, I, I think that people should check this movie out because it's a well-made movie. And that box office is any indication? No, not enough fucking people have seen it. At all. And I think that... Even the kills are good. Like you know what I mean. Like there's there's nothing nothing intrinsically th- wrong. There's nothing with wrong it. with it. Like I don't understand why. I, did. I don't and, either. But again, like it's a really good example of the only reason I knew about it was because portions of it were filmed in my hometown, and I was looking forward to it because I'd heard the buzz eh, that's created when something is filmed in your locale, right? I um, heard about this flick from a a book. I read a, 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 one of the, the, the books on uh, tape that I've been listening to. The one you hated or the one you liked? The one that I liked. Okay, good. I love <laughs> when you tell me about the one you hated, but go on. Yeah. The, the one that I liked, which was The Horror of It All by Adam Rockoff, he talks about it briefly, mm-hmm. but that's where I heard about it. And so when you said, uh, hey, man, what about this movie uh, Stage Fright? I was like, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so so, but I mean, you heard I heard about it from an audio book. You heard about it because it was filmed in your hometown. Yeah, like, there was no. Where's way, the fanfare? We didn't hear about it through convention circuit. We didn't hear about it through film festivals. We didn't hear about it through uh, Rumor Magazine. Probably had some sort of quip somewhere in it, but we missed it. If I they missed did, it. Yeah. Um, well, I don't get every. Issue. I haven't seen interviews with any buddy on it there's very very little very very little news coverage mm-hmm. uh which is unfortunately just sort of a reality of our traditional the main news stars media from sources. Ottawa. they made a huge deal when she was in last house they did here in ottawa but did that a, didn't well, get pressed properly around the world either it is on netflix though and i don't know if this is it probably is but that's probably by and large, where it's gotten noticed, what is free streaming and stuff like that, making absolutely no dollars. 
Yeah, I know. It certainly doesn't help the box office. And they put a lot into this, too. That's the other thing. I was like, um, the whole thing was uh, done by Jerome Sable. And that's the director, the writer, or the the director, the producer, uh, the writer, and uh, he did the music. Which is awesome. So... Uh, like so like there's a lot of work by one hand and then you know you had like a big cast and a lot of production you got some draws like mini driver sure yeah mini um, driver. a lot of tv and stuff like that meatloaf i mean yeah they're all recognizable i yeah, know very. you know who they are yeah and i don't know like, liz that todd uh, book of pure evil parallel with her yeah, I mean, yeah yeah there is there are reasons that people should have been led naturally to this let alone the lack of promotion yeah which the thing that the two things neither thing actually brought any audience to this yeah i know it's kind of sad yeah it's uh it's a real shame ali mcdonald did a really good job too and mm. she's done a bunch of genre stuff she now did, yeah she is and she did she did a really great job she is a really good actress she plays it straight when it comes to all of the non-singing bits and she's an amazing singer so she was like a an amazing choice for this role too yeah. so yeah. she really could have done the interview circuit or something like that yeah, i don't like, know well, why. Like, I, don't, I like and, and it's and it's weird like look i tell people all the time we miss things we miss movies that everyone's like oh, you haven't seen this you can't believe you haven't seen that we miss it man like do you know how many fucking movies come out a year yeah, like true story. do you know how much horror movies exist already that i haven't seen let alone stuff that's coming out now yeah I mean, we can't just... I would love to live a life where I just sit in a room and watch movie after movie. Put in another, put in another, put in another. Or have a clone that watches the movies for you while you can sleep and eat food. Yeah, I would love that. Or work a job, maybe. But, like, I feel like the same way you did. And I'm glad that we did this movie because hopefully... We'll get a, a, a little bit more blips on the fucking radar for it. Yeah, and someone can go pick up a copy or follow what this uh, producer is going to do next. But um, do you think it's the it's a musical? Are horror fans way too like, oh well, fuck that shit. I'm gonna watch. I want to watch Freddie and Jason, and I want to watch like fucking Michael Myers, fucking stalk people, and I want like a kill every 13 minutes, and I need a body count of X amount, and I don't want fucking singing. Or is it people who would enjoy something like? Repo and stuff like that. They're like, eh, it's kids at camp. Yeah. In terms of like, do I think horror fans shy away from musicals? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I, I think that horror fans, and this is not a criticism, it's just an observation. Horror fans in general have a hard time coming out of their box. We the... hate everything that's fun. <laughs> it's, it's just a it's, fact. Don't it's... laugh. It's not funny. <laughs> There's nothing funny here. Hmm. There's only death and despair. Pretty much. We're at my house. Or <laughs> I think that, um, but there's plenty of horror fans that I feel are more like me that are a lot more open to other types of entertainment, but who find a lot of personal enjoyment from horror, but not exclusively from horror. I think that, but like when you're dealing with horror fans that are at horror conventions and are dressing the part and acting the part and live and breathe in shit horror and are just so fucking dark it hurts... Yeah, they're not going to want to have any singing because maybe because they might feel like they're not allowed to like it. Yeah, I mean, it hurts I, their street cred. They're going to lose horror points. Yeah, lose their horror points. I lost all like, my fucking horror points right now. Like, seriously, because I love this movie. I, I, I like do. it. I like it a lot, too. And I think that, look, I fucking, I so feel like I don't, I would let horror fans down all the time. If, <laughs> if, like, if they knew what was on my iPod, if they knew... Um, oh, it's true. You let me down continuously. Continuously. Yeah. Well, yeah. With the talking. amount of fucking shit you know about Cher. 
dude. <laughs> it, it it does. My skin crawls, but I love you. So no, I'm, I'm, ideal. I'm glad. I'm glad. But I, I think that you're allowed to like horror, and you're allowed to be a hardcore horror fan, and you're allowed to like other things. You're allowed to like any fucking thing you want. As long as you're not hurting anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. So See, I do. I totally agree with that. Although I did need to turn to you because I'm so dark it hurts. <laughs> so when dark it hurts. When it comes to things like, I was like, okay, I hope you know Phantom of the Opera. Because I might, like, that might be like some sort of uh, horror staple to some people. Mm-hmm. But it's not to me. Because a horror staple to me is like pieces or something stupid like that. Yeah. Lots of gore and bad effects and crappy ADR. But, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But... I'm like, I'm like thinking, you know, fingers crossed. I hope that Wes knows as much about everything as I think he does. So you knew <laughs> like the Jesus Christ Superstar and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. there's probably other musicals that they're alluding to in there mm-hmm. uh, where things that are just out of my element. One of, one of, the, one of the actresses is dressed exactly like Liza Minnelli. <laughs> Which I know who Liza Minnelli is, but I wouldn't have noticed that because yeah. <laughs> it's not like in my canon. But I was, I'm glad that you like other things because you can get even more. It's a really rich film and I enjoy it even though I yeah. am a total I feel like bumpkin. I feel like when I watch it again, and I'll definitely get to watching it again, I feel like I'm going to pick up even more. Yeah. You pointed out the pinhead thing to me. I would have completely fucking missed that. And, and, and even... Uh, I did see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, references. There was a couple of references. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I definitely would have missed some things if you hadn't pointed them out to me, too. So there's a lot going on. And I feel like there's even more that I'm not even catching. So I, I think this movie is, like, worthy of rewatching. And you know what? I didn't like every song on Rocky Horror when I first saw it. I never. I didn't like every song on Repo. I didn't like every song on Devil's Carnival at first. But then it kind of grows on you as you lose yourself to the experience of watching the film. So maybe I just need to watch this a couple more times, and then I'll be like singing the songs, and I'll know them, and, I, and yeah. I'll get into it. Uh, but, but and that's a lot of t- with a lot of musicals. I mean, you don't necessarily like every song right away, but then uh, there's there at least one or two. And I did like the main song from this, which I suppose would be Camilla's main song for the haunting of uh i liked like, it and i liked good... its broken down performance near the end yeah um i like the very first song with mm-hmm. the, the, when they've arrived at camp yeah, yeah that's, a good that's one. hilarious uh, i don't remember like all the words because i don't normally remember stuff like that yeah. but you're right they're just not catchy they're not that catchy they're not infectiously catchy yeah but then i mean which is you... interesting because they're basing a lot of this stuff off of the idea of doing like an andrew lloyd weber type play yeah where that guy is known as like the pop music of theater yeah. is an Andrew Lloyd Webber production. The, the dude behind Family Opera and like Cats, you know, stuff like that. Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. That like really gets like the infectious earworm theatrical songs. Yeah, this is really similar to a South Park uh, musical episode or like Glee or whatever. Even though Glee uses pop music, but. Uh... Do you remember every single song from all of those? No. Exactly. And sometimes you're just simply enduring them because there is some storyline sometimes contained within them or it's just like, okay, well, the song will be over in like a minute. So we'll just endure that. Mm -hmm. So I I hope that wasn't what turned people off of this. I tend to think that it's just a lot of promotion. It was a promotion flub. That's that's kind of that. And also, like I was saying before, it just goes to show you there's no... There could be there's no folk. business like show business. Yeah, well, there's there's no real way to tell what's gonna work and what's not gonna 
work. Who knows? This is only this movie's only twenty fourteen, right? I know. I like, thought it was a little older than that, so I was getting really prematurely disappointed. But I'm still but, a little disappointed. But I mean, we're twenty fifteen now. For all we know, in ten years, this movie is going to be synonymous with all the other musical horrors that are out there. Could be, or is it because it's Canadian and nobody likes us? Is that what it is? No, because... I think that's what it is. Fuck no, you guys. No, no, no. Because, look, everyone likes... Shutting out the Canadians. What? Everybody likes... Uh, everybody likes Prom Night mm-hmm. and, and American Mary and Ginger Snaps. And there's tons of Canadian horror out there. Cronenberg. I know, right? Like, like, there's tons of Canadian horror out there that, like, the horror community worldwide... And people actually, like, like hook into yeah. as it's being produced because I can't wait for another cool Canadian horror flick. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I want I, I it's weird that this just didn't hit at all. Yeah, it, it's 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 a real shame and I hope that more people thanks to our podcast will and I'll take all the credit when it hits. So coming up next is going to be Carved, the Slipmouth Woman and we'll be taking from Stage Fright, the feudal Japan angle and going into uh Japanese folklore. Really cool looking i love the poster for this i don't know anything about the film because this Mm. is a west pick this is a west pick i'm super excited for it i am too because it looks fucking cool and it's just a fun thread to go from sort of a mention of japan into some nice japanese horror Mm -hmm. it's been a little while get ready for that and then we're gearing up for halloween gearing up for halloween is gonna be super exciting yeah we'll be announcing it on like twitter and facebook and stuff like that or like tumblr instagram or whatever Mm -hmm. we're we're all over the place yeah if you want to tweet me anything it's at deadair0001 i'm at typical lydia at typical lydia it's so sweet she loves it when you tweet her lots of stuff no i don't tweet wes please tweet wes my phone goes off yeah what do you mean? You don't like answering your phone? No, I hate fucking answering my phone. It's on mute, like, 9 to 9% of the time. I have most of the notifications turned off. Actually, if you tweet me, my phone won't go off because it just won't. Uh, but if I look at Twitter, it'll it'll tell me. But if you tweet me, you know, between the hours of, say, 10 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. weekdays, I'll generally see it on time. I hold on to my phone... Like it might be the source of my power. Other than your dick. <laughs> I hope you wash your hands in between because you probably hold them both the equal amounts of times. But yeah. I do not live with my phone in my hand, unfortunately. And so. I live with my dick in my hand? <laughs> Guess so. And on that note, I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>